Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about this idea of an entertainment or amusement tax that could bring lots of money to city government in Detroit, but would, of course, impose a new burden on the owners of the sports teams and the venues downtown or on the people who buy tickets. Lots of other cities do it this way and make municipal government work in part on the back of these taxes. We haven't been able to do that here in the city of Detroit. Why and what steps would we have to take to make that different? And we've got two great people here right now to talk about this. I'm joined by Eric Lufer, who is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. That's a nonprofit research organization here in the city of Detroit. The council has previously studied ways the city and state could generate revenue, including a potential amusement tax. Eric, welcome back to Detroit Today. Happy Wednesday, Steve. Good to be back. Also, we are joined by Robin Boyle. He is a retired professor of urban planning here at Wayne State University. Robin, great to have you back on Detroit today as well. Great to be back, despite the three degrees in the car coming down the road. Yeah, I got to thank both of you for just coming out of the house today <laughs> and coming down to the studio uh, to be part of the conversation here. Uh, I think you can both tell uh, from my open that I'm pretty worked up about this subject. Also, you both know me, and uh, we've had this conversation before, and you know how much this really grinds my gears, uh, the idea that we can't get past uh, where we are to be able to at least have a real conversation about how this might work and whether we could do it. I want to start with why that's true. What is the barrier to the idea of an entertainment tax in the city of Detroit, especially given the things that I was talking about that are true in other cities? I mean, I really can't think of another place I could go with professional sports teams where if you buy a ticket and look at the breakdown of the costs uh, on your receipt, you don't see some money that goes to municipal government. Uh, Eric, I'm going to start with you. So the basic barrier is that Michigan's law says that local governments can't levy a tax unless the state says they can levy a tax. Now, back in 1962, when we convened a constitutional convention, uh, Detroit's income tax, the first tax in the state that was something other than the property tax, was just a year old. But the CONCON delegate said, we can't rely solely on the property tax. And they put into the Constitution a provision that says local government should have the ability to levy other taxes. The ink on the Constitution was not yet dry when the legislature met and said, yes, but not without our authority. So they've provided some authority. We have a city income tax. We have Detroit's casino taxes. Some counties have some other taxes. But for the most part, they have the state has been very reluctant to provide authority uh, to provide local taxes. Um, and, and we want to talk about state revenue sharing, the loss of that. I don't know if you want to talk about now or sure. we'll get to that. But the, the, the quid pro quo was, no, you can't have local taxes, but the state's going to share we'll money with you. take care of you. you. Right. Right. And, and the state's reneged on that promise. Yeah. And, and the, the, the kind of 
context that, that sits in the background here is the structure of municipal government in the state of Michigan, which is really different in many ways from some other states. Cities here have less autonomy to decide uh, these questions than they would in in some other jurisdictions, and of course that goes back to um, you know the, the the creation of cities in in the state context, uh, which was only through a legislative act. They're not even part of of the state constitution here. Well, no, they're not part of the constitution, but our state constitution does give home rule powers. So to have this provision in state law tying the hands of cities really goes against that ingrained idea. Michigan was one of the first states to really jump with both feet into this idea of home rule. So while the state says local government, you figure out how many city council members you want and whether you want to elect your clerk or appoint your clerk or a whole bunch of other local autonomy, they've done a, a completely different path on this idea of taxation. And and it's really inconsistent. And the further down the road we get, the more the state pulls back on this idea of home rule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin, I want to bring you into the conversation here and just have you talk about the way in which uh, uh, revenue in the city of Detroit is um, is, is insufficient, structurally insufficient. I'm not talking about any one source of revenue and how much it is or is not, but that the overall picture of the way we rely on some things and eliminate others leaves us in a really vulnerable position, uh, never better demonstrated than uh, 10 years ago when we literally just kind of ran out of money. We, 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 couldn't, we couldn't keep things going with the revenue that we had. Yeah. Um, people talk about legacy cities and, um, a lot of these are, are ones that you can recognize, whether it's the steel city or the coal mine city or the manufacturing city of which Detroit is probably the best known. We see that uh, in, in vacant land. We see it in, in empty buildings. We see it in the change in the labor market. But we don't really see it in terms of the legacy that we have of how our municipalities were funded. And you've just had that conversation there with Eric about the history of a reliance on a certain model that no longer fits. And we haven't really changed that. So before I came down here, I thought to myself, well, what's happening just now? We're playing football. And where does Stephen often talk about? Maryland, Mm -hmm. Baltimore, Mm -hmm. the Ravens. Yes. You go and look at what they do. They have a statewide amusement tax that almost any municipality can tap into. Not just, in fact, they call out Baltimore in particular, but it's available across the state, across all the municipalities as an alternative to what maybe have been there in the past. We don't have that. We've had to fight and, scr- and, and crawl and scratch to get other um, funding mechanisms to come into the city to make up for the loss in population, the loss in businesses, and, and indeed the loss in the, in the income tax, which were all the three uh, main elements over the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah. So we haven't updated the mechanisms that can overcome the discrepancy that we have in our funding me- um, regime. In, in some ways, I mean, I think that's a terribly important point because uh, for a long time there was almost a largesse 
that existed in terms of tax revenue in Detroit because of the structure mm-hmm. of taxes. Uh, you, when this was uh, the the home of the largest number of single family homeowners in the nation, uh, the property tax was was wonderful, right? It was a great engine for for municipal government. Uh, when you had uh, giant auto plants all over the city. I think at some point we had 13 different auto plants in Detroit, all paying taxes uh, on, on that business into the, into the city coffers. Those were great engines. But the economy here has changed, right? Uh, uh, homeownership is way down compared to what it used to be, even though tax rates are higher. Uh, the, the property tax generates far less revenue than it, than it used to and far less revenue than it should structurally if you look at what most cities rely on for revenue. And, and, um, uh, and we've lost a lot of the businesses uh, that we have. The economic activity that's growing in the city is this downtown entertainment dollar. And so much of it just passes uh, municipal government buy. It's not just ticket sales. In fact, if you park your car in uh, one of the lots downtown, uh, there aren't there aren't fees there that end up in uh, in in city government's coffers. If you are traveling here as a tourist and stay in our hotels, we don't have a hotel tax the way that you would see a local hotel tax in the way that you would see in some place like Chicago or Cleveland or or Washington or Baltimore. Um, we we haven't rethought the economy here and the way it should help support local government. Absolutely, the swift effect. We haven't realized the impact, if I can repeat that, um, of having major stars coming through and the impact that then has on how people uh, spend the money. I, I look back also to you know the mid-1990s when um, the late Coleman Young was, was battling with the state over the casinos. And he, um, despite what you may think about the man, he, would, he, he spent, I think, four or five different ap- approaches to bring um, open access casinos, 24-hour casinos, into the city of Detroit. And eventually, um, Dennis was, uh, Archer was successful in 96 and gave us arguably one of the most modern taxis. And it, I think, Eric, it resulted in something like 12% at one time of the, of the revenues mm-hmm. in the city of Detroit. But we've not done any more since. I think that's Stephen's point. That, yeah, we did it for um, the wagering tax and the three casinos, thank goodness, um, but we haven't done anything else. Yeah, Yeah, so it's important to know that that casino tax came about through an initiative, right? That wasn't the legislature acting and proactively giving Detroit the ability to tax. That was the people saying, yes, we want casinos, and since they'll be in Detroit, let's give some of the money to the city. Um, Well, one thing... Steve, the, the Wayne County and, and Oakland and Macomb County do have a hotel tax and, and many other. So the, the counties did fine with a lot of visitors coming down, staying overnight to watch the football game. and mm-hmm. um, But it doesn't help the city itself. So, so uh, there, there is this renewed discussion, at least, about the idea of an amusement tax. Uh, uh, Councilwoman Calloway on the Detroit City Council has said that, look, we should be talking about it. Uh, Coleman Young, uh, who's also a member of the City Council now and was uh, a legislator before 
brought it up years ago and said, oh, we, sh- we should be thinking about this. I guess one of the questions is, uh, what would it take at this point to get this done? Do we need the legislature to help us out? Could we change the Constitution in a way that would give cities more freedom to think about these things? What are the, I guess, what are the options? Yes. So the Constitution already provides the, the groundwork for it. It says that local government should have the ability to levy taxes other than the property tax. So it requires legislative action. Uh, it requires the House and Senate to say this is a good idea um, and, and the governor to sign off on that. Um, you know, sort of before we get there, I think it needs to be more of a groundswell statewide uh, I think there's still resistance to do anything just for Detroit. That will just be about Detroit. Right. Sure. Uh, and, and when you think about it, right, there's minor league baseball in many cities. Mm-hmm. You think about Frankenmuth and Mackinac, and there's a lot of places people go to um, to to be entertained in one way or another uh, throughout the state. Um, and, and we'll have to decide, is this going to be an entertainment tax sort of geared at venues you go to? or an amusement tax that might include Netflix and Hulu and, uh, you know, going to see a concert. Uh, you, you can imagine a whole lot of ways that you don't have to leave your living room and be entertained and, and be amused. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, sort of thinking statewide about who would benefit from this, who, who has these sort of venues and then how big is the is the net we're casting to to define amusement and entertainment yeah yeah we'll be right back with more detroit today Uh, Eric Lufer with us. He is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, a nonprofit research organization. Also with us is Robin Boyle, a retired professor of urban planning at Wayne State. They are two people I've had this conversation with many times. Uh, we are starting to have this conversation a little wider in the city right now. Uh, some folks really talking about whether this might be possible. Uh, let's start today on the phones with Imara. Imara in southwest Detroit. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really glad to hear this um, discussion going on. But first of all, I want to be very, I want to be more clear, understand more clearly. There's a clear difference between an amusement tax and an entertainment tax in mm-hmm. my hearing. Um, I don't, I don't think there is. I think I'm using those terms kind of interchangeably. Uh, I, I do think there is a, a, a difference between, uh, a venue tax and for instance, uh, a, 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 a sports tax, right? I think there are some cities that tax sports events differently than they would tax a concert, for instance, right? So Taylor Swift comes to... Uh, Ford Field and just blows it out for you know two nights and and the whole city is consumed with uh, with all the people down there and and they sell out each each night. Uh, do you tax that the same way uh, that you might tax a Lions game? I think that might be a distinction that some cities draw, but but I don't know that there's a difference between entertainment and amusement in the sense. Oh, no, I, you mentioned something about um, you mentioned like Hulu and streaming services. 
being under an amusement tax? Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know much about that. During the break, uh, our guests brought that up and and said that there are some cities that have figured that out. And I I got to say, I don't understand how that would work. I'm 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 not necessarily in favor or against it because I don't know much. But uh, I, I think it's an example of how creative cities are trying to be in order to get more revenue into their into their coffers. Yeah, I, I think a lot of our conversation thus far has been about government keeping up with the changing world. Uh, so we're very embedded to a 1800s model of Michigan with a property tax, and we started to evolve with a income tax. But other states are taxing, taxing Uber rides and, and Lyft, and they're taxing your use of Hulu. And so they're evolving with the changing economy, and, and Michigan is stuck a century ago, and and I mean I think that is the bigger the bigger conversation is you know uh, what the tax structure in Detroit could look like, but what it needs to look like given all of the things that are changing, and it's not um, it's not a question without urgency. Still, I mean we are not necessarily on the verge of another bankruptcy, uh, but we do have problems with cost and revenue still in the city of Detroit. And it's not it's not a given. For instance, if one of the casinos were to to, to pack up and leave or, or close, uh, that could send us back to bankruptcy pretty quickly, given the, uh, the strong reliance we have uh, on that tax. It is the third largest source of revenue uh, for the city. Um, you know, our continuing problems with the property tax and and uh, you know how high it is, which discourages investment, uh, but also the collection rate, which is which is going up, but is still not what what it should be. Uh, Robin, we do really do we we still have to we still have work to do, re- reshaping government here. Absolutely, I was just also thinking about um, the evolution of downtown in Detroit as a, as as a way of learning about this, and I thought of the district. For those who do remember, this is the idea that um, the Illich family came up with for for um, developing the area uh, around the uh, the theatre down there, and then of course with the with the the hockey stadium, which became the Little Caesars, and we called this the district. But it it was constructed around what I think is another problem, and that is the notion of subsidy. That in order to do this, in order to change our downtown. In whatever way you want to do it, you got to you got to subsidize. So we've got this culture now that any development is going to come along, whether it's in in that part of downtown or even in other areas, we need to subsidize it instead of the other way around, of looking at the opportunity uh, to to find income from that development. And then the other issue is that very often that subsidy um, continues. For a long time, so the the the, the returns on a development um, that that is is built in the, in the city of Detroit or elsewhere, you know, is maybe got a fifteen year period where the city doesn't earn income from it. So you're in this double bind. Not only do is is the taxpayer paying to get the development there. But then the taxpayer doesn't get the income, and the municipality doesn't get the income that's reco- that is um, th- the potential income coming from that development. So that's another part of that legacy that we have to shift and change in some shape or form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Imara, really appreciate 
the call and uh, and the comments. Let's next go to Mark in Redford. Mark, welcome to the show. Yes, hi. Good morning, Stephen. Hi. First, first time called back in 2024, so Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. <laughs> um, my question, and one of your guests spoke to this, was whether the city of Detroit received a tax abatement when they moved, when the Lions moved from Pontiac and the Pistons from uh, Auburn Hills. And it seems to follow to me that there should be a subsidy that follows that, because I think other municipalities are doing so. What, what, what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that, Mark, that the, the subsidy should move from the city to the Lions or vice versa? No, well, the subsidies from the, the ticket profiteering and you know, the municipality should receive some kind of a, in addition to the abatement, they may have received that a subsidy on ticket sales should should follow with that. Yeah, uh, Mark, I, I, I do really appreciate uh, the call. I'm not sure I'm, I'm following exactly uh, what you're saying there, but but I you know this this question about what happens when teams move from one municipality to another and and why I think is what you're getting at and what the incentives are there's no question uh, that that there was a lot of public support put into the construction of Ford Field uh, the construction of Comerica Park and of course the construction of Little Caesars Arena which uh, which the, is the most recent one uh, that that uh, brought the Pistons back from Auburn Hills but but moved uh, the Red Wings from Joe Lewis along the river to to the center of of downtown. Um, uh, so I, I want to play devil's advocate just a little bit uh, with you guys. Um, the, there are people who say if you put this kind of burden on entertainment, that you will uh, you will discourage it. Right? That that this is a city that struggled for a long time to attract people. In the way that we are now, it's it has paid off in important ways. I think all of us are are aware of that. Um, you know, it's like uh, when you get a flame going, uh, you know, do you cover it or do you do you stoke it? And and taxes are generally seen as as you know hindering that kind of growth. What what would you say in answer to that? So we're talking about a tax. I think somewhere between five and ten percent. Um, now we're paying, you know, several hundred dollars just to get into the stadium to buy the ticket. You're paying a surcharge on top of that if you buy your ticket online from Ticketmaster or the other ticket venues. Uh, a five percent upcharge, you know, I I don't know. I I my sense is that the passions of rooting for your team or the passions from wanting to see Taylor Swift or Beyonce or, or, you know, whoever are stronger than a 5% upcharge or, or a 10% upcharge. Uh, you know, other cities, as you say, are doing this and, and we can turn on the TV and see full stadiums and, and people flocking. Um, I really don't think this is a deter deterrent to people coming to those venues. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I would share that. I, I think that th this is an opportunity to uh, identify an income stream that would be covered by most people. The, the, the report written by the city just a couple of weeks ago does make that point that um, 
the, the, the burden falls most heavily on those least able mm-hmm. to afford to buy the tickets. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there's only a certain limit that they're going to be able to go up to. But I think I, I would agree with Eric that generally th- this would be driven. I want to just go back to the previous question sure. and just talk about, well, what, what was the incentive to bring this, the, um, this, the, the teams to cluster in Detroit. We're one of the few cities where the four big sports are within throwing distance, if I can, mm-hmm. of, of, of one another. And the argument that I've, I've, I've remembered was, I mean, the, the basic argument was when, well, there's the employment because, you know, the, all the guys selling beer in, in, in Comerica or, or whatever. But the argument is also based upon this, um, the generation of spin-off. And the spin-off goes largely to the private sector so that the restaurants can have more people in them, that people can, can, can go to the bars and people can build hotels because the visitors are going to come in. And the taxi cabs, the, 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 the taxi companies, there's an old-fashioned term, you know, whatever they're called nowadays, they will benefit from it. But we didn't have that similar argument, and this takes us back to what we talked about just half an hour ago, of the city being able to realize the opportunity. Instead... They're the ones that have got to carry the burden of security, of infrastructure, or, or, or whatever the costs are, yeah. the municipality will bear and not have the opportunity then to realize through taxes, traditional property taxes, the opportunity to gain additional revenue. So I think we're in a double bind about the history. We have a legacy problem, but we haven't updated the way in which the new city will operate. And, and you know, I, I always try to make this point as well. The, the role of city government in this entire equation, when you think about uh, the idea of trying to attract sports teams to downtown, trying to attract people to downtown, trying to grow economic activity downtown, um, the, the purpose of city government in all, in all of that is to leverage that activity on behalf or in favor of the interest of the people that that city government serves, many of whom, of course, don't live downtown, some of whom don't work downtown, many of whom maybe never experience anything downtown, but do live in parts of the city uh, that rely on a lot of the services that uh, city government is supposed to to provide. And I, I feel like historically, uh, that role has been underplayed, right? Um, uh, the city government has been too solicitous, perhaps, of of developers and people who want to create uh, this economic activity downtown <clears throat> and not standing up enough to say, well, yeah, we're going to help you do this, but we need to get something out of it so that we can spread the benefits uh, much more widely uh, across this community. Yeah. So, you know, ironically, the Citizens Research Council is involved in a study right now sort of asking that question. Uh, what exactly is driving the economic development purpose of the city? Is it to bring in jobs? Is it to grow the tax base? Is it to grow the income of, of residents? Um, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that right now, bringing the Lions and the Pistons back downtown we're really just shuffling the chairs on the Titanic, right? We, the, the region didn't gain anything from that. Downtown Detroit is better off. It's a lot more convenient to get to these venues 
than driving all the way out to Auburn Hills or Pontiac or, you know, if, you, if you're downriver, that's a pretty good commute. Um, but the, the region as a whole is no better off. So having a, a, a strategy, a philosophy of what we're trying to gain here is something that we've sorely been lacking. It's sort of, we'll take all comers and, and when you're treading water, anything looks like a life preserver. Yeah. Okay. Um, Robin Boyle and Eric Lufer, always great to have this conversation with the two of you. Uh, maybe this time it will be part of a bigger conversation that actually goes somewhere, maybe in Lansing to get us uh, to the place where we can actually do this. Thank you so much, uh, both, for being here on Detroit Today, though. Thank As you, always, Stephen. our pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We've been discussing the case for or against amusement or entertainment taxes here in Detroit. Well, some of the obstacles to implementing them locally. But what do these taxes look like in other places? And what could Detroit learn from those places that have amusement taxes? That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today and help us further explore that issue. I'm joined by Charles Ballard. He is a professor of economics at Michigan State University. Uh, professor Ballard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the program. Yeah. So let's talk about the history of amusement and entertainment taxes uh, in America and the pros and cons of those taxes. Yeah, I, I want to start with a, a, a kind of a 30,000-foot view of, of uh, the sales tax. Uh, Michigan is one of 46 states that has a sales tax. And ours is a 6% tax on less than half of the economy. And basically, it applies to goods that you would buy. When you buy a wrench at the hardware store, when you buy a sweater at a clothing store, you pay the 6% sales tax. But our sales tax applies to almost no services or entertainments, the, the amusements that you've been talking about on mm -hmm. the program. So when I, when I um, uh, go to – occasionally, I – come to the Detroit Opera to, or to a ball game in Detroit, more often I'm going to see the MSU Spartans in, in East Lansing or the Lansing Symphony. Um, I don't pay any tax on that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, in, in a sense, services and entertainments are less taxed than a lot of things uh, in Michigan, and that's also true in most other states. Um, and, and so uh, that, that's, I think, one very important point. It's not like these, these things are, in some sense, already taxed like everything else. Right, right. Um, and and we've, had that, we've had that argument for a while in, in Detroit as well, if, or in, in Michigan. If you go back yes. to the Granholm administration, yes. she talked about a service tax uh, and, and got well, roasted pretty hard uh, for bringing it, it up. It was actually passed into law, but then it was repealed before it ever went into effect. It, That's right. uh, the, the, the economics of this are really simple. Would, which, which is better? Tax everything at 4% so you've got a level playing field between goods and services and you would collect more revenue or tax everything at 2.5% and collect the same revenue or tax some things at 6 and a bunch of other things at 0. Right. I, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer the, the economically. Politically, it's incredibly difficult because anytime you say, anytime you want to try to tax somebody who hasn't previously been taxed, 
they will tell you that Western civilization will collapse if they are subject to attacks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so let's talk about amusement taxes, which, right. um, which are, I guess, a subset of these kinds of uh, service taxes that, that, as you say, no state is, is doing a lot of. But, but one thing that if you go to other cities— and and buy a ticket to a ball game or or other entertainment uh, event or or venue, you do pay tax. So why have cities re- resorted to that? And I guess what's the effect of that in those cities? Well, um, one big reason uh, is you look at the people who are buying those tickets. First of all. The folks who are uh, going to games at Ford Field are not poor. In in many cases, they're affluent. In a lot of cases, they're corporations that have that are using it for promoting various things. Uh, so there's a lot of money in the pockets of the people who are buying the tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is not a particular. This is not a regressive tax. Um, the other thing is an awful lot of the people who come to these events in Detroit. Where do they live? They live in Bloomfield Hills. They live in Livonia. They live in Brighton. They live in Sterling Heights. Um, and so um, it's, it's a method. This is a, what we economists call tax exporting. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting somebody else to pay taxes that bring revenue into your, into your coffers. So both of those are reasons why cities all over the country have taxes on um, amusements and entertainments. They also, lots of cities have taxes on things like rental cars and hotel rooms because that is putting the tax on a mostly affluent group of people the people who do the most traveling i was just down in austin texas and san antonio texas and they have very substantial taxes on hotels and Mm -hmm. rental cars and things like that as well as entertainments Mm -hmm. and and we have county taxes um you know on things like that but we don't have city taxes and um, you know, uh, it's almost as if municipal governments, the, the, the most local and the most responsive uh, to people living in any jurisdiction, are just kind of left out of, of the equation here. Well, our heavy reliance on property taxes in, in Michigan, heavier than the average of the country, it creates a real problem because uh, uh, many of the the places, the municipalities in Michigan that have the greatest need for their residents, and Detroit is high on that list, they don't have the property tax base that would allow them to raise the kind of revenue so that, um, to, to provide the services that, they, that their citizens, in my view, deserve. Uh, so you can raise a whole lot more tax revenue with a lower tax rate in Bloomfield Hills than you can in Detroit. Um, and so that heavy reliance on property taxes, that's one of many things that has put our cities into a bind. And this mismatch between where the dollars need to be and where the dollars are. This is really one of the major reasons for the Flint water crisis, because the city of Flint didn't have the resources to do what it needed to do. And they tried to save money and ended up not doing so. Um, so I, I think that uh, making it possible for municipalities to um, to consider some of these other sources of revenue makes a whole lot of sense. I, I'd, I'd also 
love to see more revenue sharing from the state government, Mm -hmm. which has more revenue raising capacity than any municipality. But the state government has really reneged on its promises of revenue sharing a lot in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and our previous guests referred uh, to that, that that uh, some of these limitations on local government's ability to raise revenue uh, were imposed as a way of uh, well, as a way of dealing with that, what they said was, you know, we'll 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 increase revenue sharing, and and there was this big pot of discretionary as opposed to statutory uh, revenue sharing that was supposed to come to cities. That's pretty much petered out. I mean, it is nowhere yeah. near what it used to be. Yeah, the 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 state didn't hold up its end of the bargain. Um, I want to comment on one of the things, I believe it was Eric Luper, a very good guy, Mm -hmm. uh, said about rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. It's true that when you move a sports facility from Pontiac or Auburn Hills into the city of Detroit, in a sense, you're reshuffling things within the metropolitan area. But I've always believed, and my mom's a native, my mom grew up in Detroit, so I have Detroit roots. Um, I've always believed that the Southeast Michigan can never achieve its full potential uh, unless the center of that metropolitan area, namely the city of Detroit, is is vibrant. Yeah, I mean, um, it, New York metropolitan area is if you if you had if you hollowed out Manhattan. That would be horrible for New York. If you hollowed out the loop, that would be horrible for for the Chicago metro area. Uh, and but we in in the Detroit area, it is kind of hollowed out. We have much more affluent suburbs, and we have a city that has struggled for oh, many years. Anything that strengthens Detroit, I think, is a good thing, not just for Detroit, but for Southeast Michigan, and indeed for all of Michigan. Yeah. For the region, sure. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Hopefully, hey. everybody's uh, doing warm there. I know we have a limited time. Try to um, keep warm. <laughs> uh, so, a couple things I wanted to say real fast are um, uh, the city is coming alive as uh, oh, the downtown area is almost like a beating heart, and now it's time for that uh, blood flow to go to the rest of the city and mm. region. Mm. But uh, you know, it's not analogy. done yet. Yeah. It's not done yet. You know, you still got uh, the Wilson Park uh, renovations. You still got Hudson Tower, the newly announced um, hotel that's going next to the convention center, the Joe Louis Apartments, um, and of course District Detroit. All that. You know, so the next few years are still going to be a huge, I dare to say, renaissance in the downtown area. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other flip side to that is uh, going off with all you guests have said about the tax revenue, it should be kind of in a balanced format and see like if, if it is say like a five or 7% uh, entertainment or amusement tax, whichever you want to go by, um, it should be partly used for um, funding necessary services. And then the um, a part of it should also be used on offsetting any taxes to uh, encourage better economic development and huh. um, relief from people who have suffered enough, say right. from the property taxes. Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting way to think about it, uh, Mike. Uh, Charlie, I want to get your reaction to that take on this. 
Well, there, I was talking about property taxes a minute ago, and, and, and certainly uh, property tax rates in the city of Detroit are high, although an awful lot of individuals' have, properties have some sort of abatement. In my, my view is I wouldn't want to use a, a huge amount of the revenue if you were to raise some revenue from taxes on entertainments and sports uh, events. Uh, if all of that went into a property tax rebate, then you would have no net revenue raised. So I, I would like to see um, a, an increase in the um, in the total revenue that's available for the city of Detroit to provide essential public services for right. for its citizens. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that makes sense uh, as well. Okay, uh, Charlie Ballard, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for your insights. You're welcome. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.